that my microphone doing that or it is? That's annoying. Is it okay now? No? No? And I was bragging to Joshua how this thing worked. I guess that's I'm getting my payback for bragging on. I'm going to have to run up behind him and get up here before it gets too vacant. Uh, good morning, everyone. Wow, what a week. 33. That's how many was in our group at kids' camp. And uh, what a week we had. It rained a little bit. My goodness. One of the kids probably thought, Lord, I thought you said you weren't going to do this again. You know, it, it rained. It, I, I heard it rain here every day. But it's amazing. We got to do the zip line and the big swing and stuff like that. And Florida had to shut it down. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest places in the state to go as far as uh, the lake and the pool and all of the things, but also those incredible church services. Uh, Nora was doing a survey last the last service. Friday night, and they gave all the leaders a, a survey, and she was quizzing our group as to uh, anyone get saved, anyone get filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, she said, how many of you got refilled with the Spirit? I, I thought about raising my hand, and then after the whole thing was over, I said, I should have raised my hand. You know, it's one thing to live in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit on a daily basis and through life, but I tell you what. It's a whole different thing when you're under a deluge of the Holy Spirit falling in a place. And it completely overwhelms you and practically takes your breath. I had one of those kind of experiences when Nathan Brown was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I happened to be standing right when it all dropped. And I remember my mother saying she always wanted to be up where people are praying for the baptism. Because she says, I get the splash over. And after it's all over, I says, Nathan, I got splashed on. It was amazing. And in the same night, the same service, same altar time, his nine-year-old brother, Nathan's 16, he's there as a counselor, and he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. His brother, nine years of age, is back in the back. where the, He didn't come to the front. He's just worshiping, and all of a sudden, he says he's saying words he don't understand. And they're coming out at him, and he opens his eyes, and he said, I don't see anything but a bright light. And he was totally overwhelmed by it all. And when those two brothers got together and started sharing what had happened in the same service, there was a lot of tears. And Nathan said, here I am, 16, have been asking for this. And he said, my little brother gets this. Bless me. Years before, he said, I think it could happen to me if I would just open it. And, 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 folks, that's just a little bit of what happened. I had the privilege of driving the boys' van. Hallelujah. The, the boys' van, and poor Philip had to drive the girls' van all by himself. But to hear these boys talk to each other, not about 
that their team won the cabin war game and they got some free ice cream as a result. They were talking about, what did God speak to you? God spoke to me about being a missionary to such and such country. These are kids talking to each other about what God has spoken to them about where they were supposed to do ministry. And that's the kind of week we had at Springville Camp. An amazing encounter. It was Pentecost. It was an amazing thing to be part of that. Um, Every person that I was around in the kids, the kids were just up at the altar for a long time. You know, I think our altar service didn't get over until about 10 o'clock Friday night. And uh, that just made us get to bed a little bit later. But I'm I'm just amazed at what God has done and what he's doing. And some of you parents, I, I hope you got in on some of the stories because your kids all have incredible stories of what God did in their lives. And uh, thank the Lord for Nora. Thank you, all the adults that went to help. And, you know, Brenda and I went because we had our two grandchildren, and Kelly was with us, and uh, we just had a great time. I want to take you to the closing words of Matthew's account of the, of the gospel. It's chapter 28, and it's right near the end of what Matthew recorded. Um, and when you open it, you, you just see these last few verses. We call it the Great Commission. But I want you to just see some things with me this morning. I'm, I'm just sharing some thoughts on the command to disciple. The command to disciple. And this is where we get it. It's from Matthew 28, verse 19. I'm going to read it in a couple of translations. Some of you probably have either one of these. The most common, uh, King James and then the NIV. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The NIV reads, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pretty much sounds the same, does it not? What do you think the main verb in that sentence is? so many translations I'll, I'll, I'll give you the background on this I've read through numerous translations trying to find the translation that translates it right now I, I don't want to I don't want to burst anyone's bubble these are English translations of a Greek text and the amazing thing about the Greek language is it's got so many different variations of verbs and uh, tenses, there's the aorist tense, there's the perfect tense, there's the future tense, there's the present tense, there's a past tense. And the language is so versatile that you can just about, there's five different words for love in the Greek language. We have one word for love, and we tell our spouse, I love you, and we tell people, I love ice cream. Same word. But it doesn't mean the same, right? They, the, the language is so versatile, and I've tried my best to find how this should have been translated, and I found the Berean Literary Literal Bible. I don't know if anybody here has a Berean Literal Bible. But this is exactly how this should be translated because go is not a verb. Go is a participle. 
It's a participle, and it's a past participle. Now, English was not my, my really gifting. It's still not my gifting. But when you read how this should be translated, you understand what Jesus is emphasizing. Matthew knew exactly how to word this because he knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he was talking to him. And this is the Berean literal Bible. Therefore, having gone, that is the past participle, having, it's already considered that you are, have gone into these regions, disciple all nations. The King's Amos says, teach. Uh, NIV said, make disciples. Disciple all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The disciples knew exactly what Jesus was saying. They understood that they were to go, that there was no question about going. We look at that and we say, well, the command is go. Go into all the world. But it's not really spoken that way. The command is to, as you go, and by the way, we're always going. So in the going, what should you and I be doing? Making disciples. And the single most exhaustive, inclusive statement that Jesus gave these other than them staying in Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high is their life purpose. He said, your life purpose. I'm giving you what your purpose in life is all about. Make disciples. Go make followers of Christ. And if you look at verse 20 where it says, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. And, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, end of the age. The word teaching is a different word than the word that is translated teach in the King James in verse 19. This word is didasco. We get uh, didactic from it. We, it. It's about instruction. It's about knowledge. It's about what, you, what people can learn. When you look at make disciples, it's marketuo, meaning to become a follower of Jesus. And yes, we get the word martyr from because martyr simply means witness. A witness of faith in Christ all the way to being willing to give your life for your witness to the Lord. So there's only four times martuteo is used in the Bible, and this is one of them. It, it says, go and make a follower of Christ, teach them then how to live that out. It's kind of like what you cannot learn to become a disciple of Jesus, can you? You cannot learn to become a disciple of Jesus. You, there's not enough training that someone could give you to become a disciple of Jesus. That has to happen in a powerful transformational experience. That's what he was telling Nicodemus. If anyone through knowledge could have become a follower of Christ just in their knowledge, Nicodemus would have been the one. He knew the Bible, and he knew Jesus was something different about Jesus. He went to him at night saying, nobody can do what you're doing except God's hand is upon your life. And Jesus told him, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born, actually born from above. You have to have an experience of rebirth in your life. And, and he was like, how does that happen? You've got to be born of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the wind that blows wherever it wants to, and you can't figure it out. The Spirit of God is that way, and Nicodemus, you have to have an encounter with God that's transformational. You have to be born again. 
That's when you become a believer. It's when you're born again. You cannot learn your way or earn your way into becoming a disciple of Jesus. You have to be born into the kingdom of God. There's no other way to enter into the kingdom of God but being born again. One doesn't learn to become learn to be a believer. You learn how to live as a believer by the teaching of the gospel. This happens through the preaching of the gospel. The, the cross has taught us how to live in, in one of these songs, the scandal of grace. The cross teaches us how to really live. The cross is a symbol of death, but that symbol of death is what opens us up to life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, those, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Make no mistake about it, there wasn't a smarter person in Scripture than Saul of Tarsus, but he was as lost as lost could be. He didn't know the truth. He didn't know Christ. He didn't have a changed heart. He was a brutal man, a harsh man, and he would have told you that, but he obeys the Mosaic law to the letter. He's doing the best he can. But he says the preaching of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in verse 23, he says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But those, in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Some determine that the message of the cross does not meet their standard of wisdom or philosophy, and they laugh at it. Which of the Greeks? Foolishness to the Greeks. This all made no sense to the Greeks. They were all about accomplishing life through learning, through knowledge, and through various teachings and disciplines, mental disciplines, and social disciplines. And they looked upon this message as someone died and rose again, and that he can have a transformational uh, power to transform your life. They just dismissed that and laughed that off. It's crazy. But there was others that this was a stumbling block. You take those who are hyper-religious in any religion, whether it's Judaism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Buddhism, Islam, those who are hyper in any religion are the ones that the cross and the resurrection is a stumbling block to them. It's kind of like insulting their religious fervor that they could be on the outside looking in. Whereas everything they're doing guarantees that they are in the middle of truth. They are in the middle of what it means to be a believer. And their discipline, whether it's a multi-god Hinduism or monotheistic Islam, or all of the different things about Buddhism, it doesn't matter what those disciplines are. It's insulting to them. It's really a scandal of grace, as we say. The song is right. It is a scandal of grace. It does not make sense to the hyper-religious. And when you look at the Great Commission, we see it's, it's not telling us to avoid the Jews and Greeks. It's not telling us, you know what, I'm not going to talk to that person because, you know, they're really hyperactive in this and this and this, and they're, they're not going to pay any attention to me. He doesn't qualify who you go to, whether they will listen or not. He doesn't say, you know, just go to those you think has a chance to receive the message. He said, go to all the nations. Go into all the nations, all the different people groups, and make disciples. 
you tell us to avoid the social elites or the philosophical elites or the academia over at the University of Alabama? I remember when I first came here, there was a couple of professors and a lady and her family was in the church. They were moving to North Carolina Chapel Hill. She'd gotten on the faculty there. And she left me a book. I, I, I think she might have been in the philosophy uh, department. But she left me a book, and she had dog-eared the section of that book about the Big Bang. Not that she believed in it, but she had to teach it. But she dog, she turned the page over so that I could read it and see how crazy that perspective is. But those same people that said a Big Bang created everything looks upon the cross and the resurrection as a stumbling block to them. They can't get that. And I'm reading that, and here's what I remember reading in that paragraph. I, I, I just finished this book after a while. It's taking up too much of my space in my Bible. It said that something smaller than a microscopic was an explosion. Something smaller, something microscopic exploded and created everything we see today. Now, they want to say the gospel's crazy. But that, anybody, I don't, just like the guy that wrote a book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Because what you believe otherwise is like, what? And this is what he's saying. He says, go and make disciples. He doesn't qualify who it is that you go to. He says, go into all the nations, all the people. Do you think for a moment when Paul stood in front of Agrippa King, Agrippa and Festus in Acts, I think it's Acts 26, when he stood before there and he was arrested and he was in chains and they brought him out and he's looking up in the balcony and they made a big to-do about, you know, this Paul's going to come out and tell us all about his stuff and and he preaches, he tells them exactly, he doesn't really pay any attention to that this is a king and this is a governor and, and he's before the most powerful people and they can set him free. He's not pleading his case. He's telling them about the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. And somewhere in the middle of all of that presentation, Festus interrupts him and he says, you have lost your mind. Your learning has made you gone crazy. exposed to the prophets. You know about the Old Testament. You know about all this stuff going on. And he's supposed to zero in on that. And he didn't. To the point that Agrippa says, did you think in such a short space you'd come from one thing to another? He says, how I wish you were what I am, except for these chains. That man was feeling the heat. One of them turned into one of those that stumbled at it. I wonder what King Agrippa did after that because it was getting to him. He knew it was getting to him. He was following through with Matthew 28. He was preaching the gospel to those who were more than likely to dismiss him. They were the elites of their day. They were the most powerful people. They were the political hierarchy. Paul didn't make one misstep in telling them the gospel. Whether they believed it or not, he was going to tell it. May God help us to get that kind of pastor. That we don't engage whether someone's interested in what we have to say or they will receive what we say or, or maybe hurt our feelings if we try to tell them the gospel. 
that wasn't Paul. The Great Commission, Christ commissions his followers, make disciples. But it's like this, make disciples of who? Of all nations. And the word is ethne there. Comes, it's the plural form of ethnos. It means a group of people, a culture, maybe a nationality. It has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. And we get ethnicity from that word. It's people groups. And it really kind of boils down to one group or two groups. Those who have been redeemed by the cross and the resurrection and those who are lost. Do you realize everybody is in one of those two groups? Every single person out of the t- six billion, I don't know, have we reached seven billion yet? We're, we're heading there. But everyone in that number of the census of who all we have out there, they belong either in grace or out of grace. They have either accepted Christ or they're lost. There's no in-between. There's no measurement of loss. There's no degree of lostness. You're either saved or you're lost. And just maybe we ought to think about people that are close to us, people even our relatives, that have no measurable fruit of having any engagement in salvation. And they're not going to be grandfathered in on our behalf. They're not going to be given a pass because we're praying for them. They're only going to go into the kingdom of God by their rebirth, not by our rebirth. In fact, I was looking up the word ethnicity because it's the, the, the racial divide that is so prominent now and there's so, so much attention on race. Do you realize that ethnicity is a 20th century term? It was used for the very first time in a book in 1941 by Lord Warner and Paul Luntz on the social life of modern of a modern community, Yale University Press, 1941. First time ever the word ethnicity was used. It was invented to separate us into groups by our skin color. It was never, when, when the Lord told the disciples who were all Jewish at the time to go and make disciples of all nations, he was including everybody in that. Even though some of them were more comfortable going to Jewish people to preach than to Gentiles, just ask Peter how comfortable he was going to Cornelius' house. He had a problem with that. But the Great Commission did not give him a pass. God sent him, God pressed him. He had three different three different statements to him in that vision of the of the sheep being let down with food on it that was not clean for him to eat. And God was clearly pointing out, where you're going, don't you dare call uncommon or unclean. Because that man has a heart after me and he needs to hear the message. You go and preach to Cornelius and he walks in and he announces, you all know I'm not supposed to be here. It's kind of like, the Lord has made me come here. That's how much he didn't want to be around me. God was having to break down his idea of who could be an audience for the gospel and who couldn't. Peter had to have that removed. Seems like Paul, on the other hand, he knew where to go and they didn't receive the Eucharist. They said, no, we're ethnos. 
There's no degree of lostness. There's not something that we're really lost. I know we look at people, oh, they're, they were really a lost person. And they got saved. There's no degree of lostness. You're either saved or you're not. Lost is lost. There's no degree of lostness. And this is why Jesus was saying, as you go, as you're going about your life, as you go to the market, as you go to the doctor's appointment, as you go everywhere you go, somewhere along in there, you may have an encounter where you can share the disciple-making message of the cross and the resurrection. Everywhere you go, as you are going, make disciples. That's what Jesus was saying. Over in Russia, far east Russia, Habarsk, I was there for about three weeks teaching in a seminary. And this was like, I think, 2001, May, maybe April, May 2001. And it's amazing in the city of about, it was about 600,000 then, it's about a, a million now, it's the largest city in far east Russia, it's right on the Ural River, right near Sichang. I had a one empty visa to go into Russia, and someone said, well you can, you can go over into China, and someone said, but you have a one empty visa, you've used that entry, if you go over in China, you can't get back, I said, well I don't have any ties in China. But all these Asian minorities, are, it was all around there. The Korean Assemblies of God Church is where this Bible college was meeting. The Korean Assemblies of God. And all these different variations of the kingdom of God. It was amazing to see this multi-ethnic group in this class. And I had an interpreter. She was Dutch of origin. And she was trying to interpret a southern United States preacher. But Olga, Olga did really well, and when you think of that word, you think of like maybe one of the Russian swimmers a couple of years ago. She was real tall, thin, but she was interpreting, and she was helping, just teaching them biblicals, and I got excited, she got excited, because she was so good at it. But there were these people over here that was like, were just out of their culture, and their heritage. This was the Asian minority, this was, they really looked down upon, and they just sat over here, and you could see the effect of where they were isolated, and they weren't getting the place, the value. There they were, studying for ministry and being obedient to God. They were making disciples of all nations. All nations were there in Far East Russia. The minorities, Chinese minorities, Koreans. In fact, when the Presbyterian missionaries back in the 1700s were so active in the world, George Whitfield was a Presbyterian missionary. He came to the United States, preached in the United States, and died in the United States. One of the great preachers, missionaries, they went into Korea, which was then one nation, and they had such a prominent effect on Korea. The largest Presbyterian membership in the world is in South Korea. The largest Presbyterian congregation is 100,000 members strong in Seoul, South Korea. Why is that? Because they were going into a people's group, an Asian culture, but they were there to preach the gospel and God honored the gospel. Here they were, mainly pretty much British people going to the ends of the earth, into India. Some of the first missionaries in all those areas came out of here. Make disciples of all people. Going. Going was not an elective for them. They were going to go, and in going, they were going to make disciples, sharing the gospel. Paul and Barnabas headed out on the very first missionary journey. 
in the book of Acts. And in Lystra, there was a crippled man there, crippled from birth. And that man was healed. Paul and Barnabas prayed for him, and he was healed. And this uh, idolatrous culture in Lystra started yelling that gods have come down to visit us. And they gave Paul a, a name, I think maybe Zeus, one of them was named Zeus, and the other one was named another god. And here come a priest out of some of these disciplines bringing some bulls, and they were going to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas for the great miracle they had done because the gods had come down, and they tore their clothes, and they said, well, we didn't do this. This is not our doing. This is God. They had stepped into a culture. They had no idea of, of what the cross and the resurrection was all about. And here this crippled man drew the attention where they could preach the gospel. They just kind of lost control of the whole thing to the point that after wanting to sacrifice animals to him, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. Going to all the people groups of the world. Here he is. He's left for dead. The disciples go out there. The believers that had become believers, they go out there. and then they, they, It doesn't tell us that they prayed over him or they did anything. They just went out to him and was there and all of a sudden he jumped up. Don't know whether they were praying or God was saying, I'm not finished with him. He's, he's going to survive this. But I like this. The Bible says he goes back into Lystra and spends one more night there. Yeah. Yeah, I like that, don't you? They stone him, he goes back, I'm going back. I'm going to let them know they're not running me over. And he goes and he preaches the gospel over in Derby, and, and this is one of the few places outside of Matthew 28, verse 19, about making disciples. It's in Acts 14, 21. This is one of the few places that Martha Tsuo is used to make disciples and says this about Paul and Barnabas. After they had preached the gospel to that city, Derby, it was Derby. And had made many disciples. There it is, Martha Tua. Had made disciples, had brought people to faith. They returned to Lystra, the place he had gotten stoned. He goes back there and then to Iconium and on to Antioch, which is their home base. Remember, there's two classes of people. There's the saved, the redeemed of the Lord, and there's the lost. And everyone in the lost is part of the ethnic people. People, groups of all nationalities. You know, sometimes I think we've gotten so focused on reaching people that are like us or that we think will like us that we are not conscious of the fact that God has called us to go back. Anyway, the Great Commission doesn't tell people to go to people that have, have, that's like you. Can you imagine some of the first missionaries that got into the heart of the dark continent, Africa? We knew Millard and Nellie Pippins. They were one of the first missionaries to go into the deep part of Africa where witch doctors and they sacrificed their babies to the crocodile god out in the river. And he came and preached to our church in Childersburg when I was just a kid. And our eyes was this big around and he was telling everything. And yet there they were preaching to people they had never seen, white person. But they were called there because God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And there was a move of the Holy Spirit. There was a move of the Holy Spirit in Korea with the Presbyterian missionaries and missionaries following them. The Great Commission does not, listen, 
the Great Commission does not tell us to go preach the gospel to the people that we are comfortable with. He says, go and preach the gospel to all the nations. Go make disciples of all people groups. The Great Commission is not color-coded. We're not supposed to be just reaching people of our own racial background, our own social background, our own whatever identity. Jesus prepared his followers by warning them that they would face opposition, sometimes physical harm and sometimes death. But don't worry about it. Just go on and do what God has called you to do. That's easy for him to say, right? And Paul went right back to the same city he was stoned in because he knew there were still people there that needed the gospel. And he was willing to take the chance, the risk. I don't even know if we're willing to take the risk of having our feet messed up let alone having our, phys- our bodies physically harmed. I think it's time that we took Matthew 28 number 20 seriously. As you're going, make disciples. Don't be drawn into division. There's too much division in our country right now. Don't be drawn into that. Don't be, when, when we're drawn into that, it will keep you and me from fulfilling the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We will waste our time in endlessness of back and forth conversation that will never produce one disciple for Jesus if we get caught up in division. We have to lay that down and actually become a tool of disrupting the dark world around us, the world of deception, the world of bondage, to let people know there's a way out. And those who do not know the Lord, I remember when when Brad, some of you might remember, we had an evangelist come from Chicago, Illinois, come to this church. I don't know, about 15 of us. And and we we, we went out door to door. I don't want to get shot for one. But we went out door to door, and there was a car wash over here in Alberta City that was known for drug activity, and we said, I want us to go there. Where can we go where people are really lost? And we go there, and we start talking, and all these people doing drugs and doing whatever, they tell them they need Jesus. He turned around and said, what do you think about the crowd? Everybody hates Jesus. He said, it's in Chicago. When I walk up to a drug dealer and start telling him about the Lord, he said, oh, I'm not interested in that. I said, well, you're lost. Yeah, I'm lost. He said, people in Chicago know they're lost. What is it about Alabama that these people don't know they're lost? Beats me. But it kind of like reflected on our culture that if you're a good guy, you're in. And yet we have to preach the cross as either foolishness, some are stumbling blocks to others, but we have to preach it. We have to be a disruptive tool in the hands of God or we will be kept from fulfilling the Great Commission. There's a scandal of grace going on. We need to be right in the middle of it. I want our praise team to come up. And we're going to have communion here in just a moment. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room that has a question. Am I really born again? Or, or I, I just am drawn to this because I should be healed. I should be delivered. I should find a little better and do better. Father, there's a question I have about transformation and encounter with the risen Jesus. Directly personal 
you came and born as a baby. Jesus, you came. That is the call. And Lord, anyone here in this room not sure of this, the gospel is, is right here in front of us. You died for our sins and you were raised again for our justification, for us to be declared righteous when we can never be righteous in ourselves. We can never do enough to earn your approval. We have to be broken. We have to come admitting, Lord, that we're hopelessly caught in a web of doubt, a web of fear, a web of wanting to do what we want to do. I pray, Lord, that that person this morning is willing to lay all of that at your feet, to empty themselves into all that have held them back. And that today they would reach out to you and say, Jesus, save me. Would you stand with us?